Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Grace Life. Would you put your hands together? Help me welcome all of our first-time guests. We're so glad to have you with us, whether you are here in the room or online. Speaking of here in the room and online, man, that was a special moment, wasn't it? I tell you what, when you come into God's presence, you never know what you're going to get because he is such a good God. And uh, look, those of you online, I hope that somehow translated into your living room. But right here, the presence of God is amazing. Uh, well, hey, uh, happy Thanksgiving. Everybody have a good weekend? Well, that was good. Most of you then. Okay, how many of you got your tree up this weekend? Anybody already got their tree up? Woo, good. Who managed to not let anyone play Christmas music until Friday? I mean, did y'all, like, you tried to, yeah, there you go. Well, if you are a guest or maybe you've just been traveling some of November, we're in a series today that we're going to wrap up and close it out. Uh, we've been doing it all throughout the month of November. As you can tell from behind me, the series is a finance series with a very simple theme, to be or not to be poor. And the choice is yours. And the whole idea for this series came from some Bible reading I was doing a year ago, was not planning a sermon, was not doing research for this series at all. I was just reading my Bible. And I came across a story that normally is a story that we use to preach about worshiping Jesus. A woman had come in, poured a very expensive bottle of perfume over his head, and the disciples who saw it said, whoa, what a waste. We should have sold this, taken the money, and given it to the poor. What they didn't realize is that she was demonstrating this incredible act of worship that there is nothing more valuable than telling God what he means to me. There's nothing more important than being grateful for what Jesus has done in my life. And secretly, symbolically, she didn't know, but she was preparing Jesus for the death and burial he was about to experience. That's usually what we preach about that story. But as I was reading the story, I noticed his response, and that got my attention because he turned back to those disciples and said, leave this woman alone. She's done a good thing. You could sell it and give it to the poor, but that wouldn't solve anything. You will always have the poor among you. You'll always have the poor among you, but you won't always have me. You won't always have a chance to do what she just did, but you will always have a chance to help someone who's poor. And that got my attention because Jesus literally just told us, there is a problem among humanity we will never eradicate. We'll always have the poor among us. But I also know the Bible tells us it's not God's intent. God says that there should be no poor among you. Now, if you've been here through the series, you've heard me say a sentence over and over. It's kind of become a mantra for the series. And my hope is that if you miss everything else I said, that you'll take this one little sentence and start to live your life by it because you'll understand things, right? And the sentence was the answer to why. Why will we always have the poor among us if it's not God's intent? And it is that there will always be people who do not experience God's intent because there will always be people who do not live God's way. That is the takeaway. If you miss everything else, get that one. There will always be people who do not experience God's intent because there will always be some who do not live God's way. So the goal of this series was very simple. We wanted to learn God's way so that we could have God's intent. And it turns out that God's got three principles and scripture for how we can manage our finances the way that he would have us do it so that we can have the intent that he wants for us. The principle number one we looked at in part one of this series, and that is to honor God with his tithe. Principle number one, honor God with his tithe. It, it simply is saying, God, you are the source of everything in my life. I honor you for being my father in heaven. You bless me, and I wanna show that honor to you, and God is the one who defines how we show that honor to him. The second principle is simply to be generous. To be generous, the Bible tells us that we are blessed to be a blessing, that we'll be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way. It turns out that God wants his people to be a conduit of blessing to this broken world so that people will look and say, God is good 
I want him to be my God. That's what God wants for us. And then the third principle, we looked at just some really simple practical things to get these things working in our life. It's the principle of being wise. Being wise means you, you have honest gain, you work hard, you prepare and save for tomorrow, you stay away from debt, you know, just really simple practical things, right? And so the summary we should have so far, three parts into our series before we get to today, is that when we have God's blessings and God's wisdom working together, we're gonna have the best life possible. No, yeah, come on, that was, that was like an amen kind of statement. When you have God's blessings and God's wisdom working together, you're gonna have the best life possible. I'm not just talking financially. In every area of your life, get God's blessing, God's wisdom working together, you're gonna have the best life possible. So let me ask you a question today. Don't raise your hands for this one. But how many of you could say, now that I've learned these three principles or, or now that we've talked about these three principles, I practice these three principles perfectly in my life and I never struggle to do it. They are so easy. It's so easy to always honor God. It's so easy to always be generous. I go to the store and I just look for a chance to give money to somebody. When I, I get my paycheck, I'm always setting something aside for tomorrow. It's easy to be wise. I'm easy to stay out of debt, et cetera, et cetera. I bet I wouldn't get many hands because I'm getting a lot of laughing looks at my, from the audience right now, all of you looking at me like I'm crazy. Probably not many of us would say, oh, it's just so, so easy, I do them all perfectly. And then I would ask the question, well, why not? And I don't think many of you would say, well, I just disagree with scripture. I don't believe that's the three principles God teaches, and I don't believe God will be faithful to do what he said he would do, so that's my reason. I bet very few of you would debate with scripture. And so when I talk to people and I say, well, then why don't you do it? Most of us say, I don't really know. It's just not that easy. It's, it's hard. It's a struggle. It's a struggle to always give when you feel like you should. It's a struggle to give God the first tenth of everything. It's a struggle to not buy that with a visa. It's on sale. It's a great opportunity. Come on, it's a struggle. What I want to share with you today is what I think is going on. I think there's a better answer than, I don't know why. It's just a struggle. Let me ask you, how many of you have the Thanksgiving tradition? I know a lot of families have the Thanksgiving tradition. They go around the table and they let everybody talk about something they're grateful for and how grateful they are. Who, who does that? Any families in here, you do the family tradition going around the table? I noticed there are not a lot of hands. And I bet the reason there's not a lot of hands is because the rest of us, we've tried it and figured out it doesn't work out like you always think it will. So when my kids were younger, we tried this one time. We did not get the answers we wanted. I got, I'm grateful for SpongeBob. Come on, parents. I got, I'm not grateful because I hate turkey. Um, so look, at this point, we don't try that tradition anymore because we've suffered the trauma and just kind of given up on that. Here's the thing though. Whether or not this is one of your Thanksgiving traditions to go around and answer what you're grateful for, let me ask you this. Do you ever just sit and look at your life and tell God how grateful you are? Do you ever just think about how blessed you are and how good everything is? If you think to yourself or say, yeah, yes, I, I do that quite often, then you are somebody who feels blessed and you feel God is good. If you don't find yourself doing that, then you're somebody who thinks you need more and God is better to other people than to you. And so what I wanna share with you today, I'm simply calling the secret of contentment because it turns out that what's going on in your heart is the reason that you will find it easy to put those three principles to practice in your life. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me. We're gonna be in 1 Timothy chapter six. If not, don't worry, it's gonna be on the screen right here for you. And as you're turning there, let me explain the context of what we're looking at today. 
This book of Timothy, 1 Timothy, was written to, no surprise, someone named Timothy. It was written by a guy named Paul. Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, he had actually mentored and discipled Timothy, and now he has set Timothy in to be the pastor of the church in Ephesus. It's where we get the book of Ephesians. But Paul is not writing to the Ephesian people today. Paul is writing to their pastor, one of his disciples. His name is Timothy, and he's warning Timothy about some things. And the thing that we're going to see today in chapter 6, he's warning Timothy about people who preach things that aren't true, false teachers, people who would preach things that would not be correct according to Scripture and what God would say. And so in verse 3 of chapter 6, Paul starts out by warning him, if anyone teaches a different doctrine, and then he's going to spend a couple of verses explaining all of the options of the things they're doing wrong, but then he's going to summarize it with the last one in chapter 5. The last thing they do wrong is they imagine that godliness is a means of gain. Timothy, be warned, if anyone teaches a different doctrine, if anyone actually tries to teach that godliness is a means to gain, you have a problem on your hands. Now, if you're reading this at first, you may go, how is that a problem, Jimmy? Godliness is good. To want to be like God, to act like God, that's a good thing. So wouldn't that bring something good? Well, the word actually has a little bit different meaning right there. This word godliness actually means religion, religious practice devotion to God. And the truth is those can be good or bad depending on what's going on in your soul. Are you with me? And so what is happening in this situation is that there are false teachers that are coming in and they're trying to use people's devotion to God, their religious practice to take advantage of them. Possibly they're trying to use their position as a teacher to gain money from everybody else. Possibly they're trying to get those people to take advantage of God's promises. The whole idea if you give you will get more, give to get, kind of a pre-runner to the prosperity gospel. Are you guys with me? I need you to pay attention very closely to what I'm about to say. If you've been here for the series and you do not know me, very important for you to hear. Throughout the series, I've been teaching God's intent for his people. And then I've been teaching what God promises when people live according to God's way. Somebody may think all along for three weeks now, I've been teaching that you will get more if you give more. You'll get more if you give more. Look, I'm gonna put the truth out here real simply. If you honor God and you obey God, you will be blessed and you can't stop it. Can I get an amen from that one, somebody? You, if you honor God and obey God, you'll be blessed and you cannot stop it. But that is not what I've been preaching, the idea that you give to get. You see, the issue is what is the motivation of our hearts. If you are only giving to get more, you've missed something. If you only tithe because you want God to give you more, if you only are generous to people because you want God to give you more, you've missed it. Getting more is not the goal. Getting more is just God's goodness. Are you tithing because God is worthy of honor? Are you generous because God has blessed you and you want to bless others? It's all about what's going on in your heart. And so Paul is giving Timothy a very bottom line warning here. There are false teachers that are using people's devotion to God, their religious practice, to satisfy greed and teaching them to use their devotion to God to satisfy greed. Isn't that crazy? The whole idea is greed is wrong. And Paul has written about that extensively and greed is something wrong in your heart. And these false teachers are saying, hey, don't worry about the greed in your heart. Let me tell you how you can use God to fill that need. 
Paul warns him. So he goes on in verse six. He says, godliness is not the answer to gain. Godliness with contentment. Now that is great gain. If you have a devotion to God, if you have a religious practice, and in your heart you know that God has been good to you and you are full, now that is great gain. And Paul explains why. He says, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. No amens for that one. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Yeah, no, don't lie. <laughs> You're in church. Don't lie. Look, you know when I preach, I have a very simple goal. I want you to think differently or be different at the end of the message from when I started. That's the goal. And so the only way we're gonna get there today is if we're honest with where we are right now. So let's be honest. We want more than food and clothing. I want more than food and clothing. Is there anybody with me? I want more than just enough food and just enough clothes to get through life. I want vacations in the Caribbean. I'd like to go to Spain someday. It's on the bucket list. Maybe Hawaii too. You know, I, I would like a car to drive. Food and clothing and a long walk to work, not going for me, right? And speaking of food, I mean, technically rice cakes and granola bars will get you there. Black beans and rice, it'll get you there. I want filet mignon. I'm not alone. You're with me. That you can say amen to, right? Come on. I mean, this is the reality. So until we can admit that we struggle with what Paul just said, I honestly don't want just food and clothing. I want nice stuff. I want vacations. I want to enjoy life. We can't be content until we deal with what's in our heart. And so here's what's in our heart. We live in a materialistic world, an incredibly materialistic world. All around us, everybody, everything and everyone is telling us stuff will make us happier. Black Friday sales. Can I get an amen? Y'all with me on that? You know what I'm saying? We all just did it. Everybody's like, well, we got to go get the stuff. We got to get it now. It's cheaper. And if it's cheaper, we get more stuff for the same amount of money. All right. Y'all just pretend. Y'all holy. We all know the truth. We just read it. Nobody would debate it. We brought nothing into this world and we will take nothing out of this world. We agree with that. We just want really nice stuff as long as we're in this world. That's the truth. So we got to be honest with ourselves. And Paul explains, if we are aware of where we are, we're in danger. And he says in verse nine, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. That's one of the most misquoted verses in all of the Bible. People say all the time, for money is a root of all kinds of evils. But no, that's not what the Bible says. It's the love of. It's all about what's going on in here. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Money is not the problem. The problem is the hold money has on your heart. So let's get back to our core problem. We tend to believe our life would be better with more. We're always thinking, Bigger house, newer house, bigger TV. Come on, guys, somebody with me on that one. Newer car, bigger vacation, whatever the story, more would always make it better. Here's what you need to know. That's a lie. It's a spiritual lie from a spiritual being. His name is the devil. 
The Bible tells us he's the ruler of this world. And when we say that, it doesn't mean that he's in charge sitting on a throne like God. What it means is that he is the one behind the spirit of this world. That he is the very spirit behind the ways of the ungodliness of this world. And the Bible tells us that as with him as ruler of this world, that what is offered to us is only three things. Only three things the world offers. In 1 John 2, it says, for all that is in the world. Everybody say all with me. All. For all that is in the world, only three things. Number one, the desires of the flesh. This is about physical pleasure. The desires of the eyes. This is about stuff we see shiny and glittery and say, ooh, I want that. And the pride of life, making much of ourselves in promotion. It's not from the Father, but it's from the world. All that is in the world, the spiritual lie tells us that our life will be better if we get more of these three things. We just need more of these three things. We need more pleasure. And if we can't get it in a godly way, we'll get it in an ungodly way, but we're gonna get more pleasure. And we need more stuff. And then we need to be promoted. We need to have a higher rank or a bigger office or a bigger title or more degrees or whatever because when we get promoted, it comes with more money and more money gets us more pleasure, gets us more stuff. Then we need another promotion to get more money, to get more pleasure, to get more. Are y'all with me? It's a vicious cycle that Paul says it never ends. Let me set the context for something I think is, is crucial to changing our hearts. Why was Paul able to say, look, if we've got food and clothing, we're content. He wasn't lying. Paul could sit and just think, I'm dressed, I'm eating, I'm so blessed. You see, if you're not familiar with the story, Paul's name used to be Saul. And he used to go around arresting and persecuting people who follow Jesus. Put them in prison. Some he even had killed. And when Paul was on his way one day to, to do that in the city of Damascus, Jesus met him from heaven, knocked him to the ground, spoke from the sky, and Paul said, who is this? And he met the Lord Jesus. He discovered at that minute, Jesus was real. He was risen from the grave. This is the Messiah. Everything that had been preaching against, he suddenly discovers is real. And you've got to imagine at this moment that Paul if he had any thought of, oh my gosh, is there any way my sins will not be held against me? If there's any way. And not only did God say, oh, there's more than just forgiveness for you, buddy. You're gonna end up writing a lot of scripture. You're gonna see miracles done. You're gonna preach the word. You're gonna be famous forever. You're gonna lead people into the kingdom. People's lives are gonna be changed because of you. People are gonna worship the name of Jesus because of you. Can you imagine at that moment, as, as Paul was given something so much greater than what he deserved, he had experienced natural riches. He came from a well-to-do family. He had, had given one, been given one of the best educations. He had climbed the ladder in his career before all of this happened. He had had everything. He had lost everything. Now that he's a Jesus follower, he was beaten Stoned, stripped naked, left for dead, put in prison. And his perspective is so, are you kidding? I'm not being beaten. I'm not left on the side of the road naked and thought dead. Are you kidding? I mean, I'm well clothed. I'm warm. I've got my blanket. I've got food. 
You mean, I deserve to go to hell? I used to kill people who follow Jesus and I'm going to heaven? Are you, are you serious, man? I'm so content. God is so good. You see, Paul's eyes were on the spiritual world of what awaited him. And when your eyes are on what is in front of you, walking streets of gold with Jesus face to face and not personally paying for your sins, you stop thinking about how nice your car is for a few years on earth. That's why Paul was able to say, look, food and clothing, man, if you guys only understood what we deserve. And that is where the heart issue begins. And that's why he gives us such a strong warning of the danger. Let me repeat it. He says, but those who desire to be rich fall into a snare. They fall into a snare. They don't realize this is, it's senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. Let me ask you a question. You have to answer this. Do you want ruin and destruction? Thank you. Do you want to lose your faith and walk away from God? Do you want to be in a snare? So Paul tells us those who desire and chase after riches, that's where they're going to end up. This picture of a snare, it's honestly a graphic picture. You can imagine a hunter out walking in the woods, covered ground covered with snow so he can't quite see what's there, and he steps into a bear trap. A bear trap is meant to hold on to a beast that's hundreds and hundreds of pounds. It crushes the hunter's leg. There's no way he can get himself out. And if he's not saved by someone else, well, ruin and destruction is the end. Paul says, don't you see, as you chase riches, you're that hunter who has stepped into a snare he can't get out of. It's not just holding him down, but it's literally killing him as it grips him. So what are we to do? Well, thanks for asking. The Bible also tells us the answer. Very simply, in Hebrews 13, says, keep your lives free from the love of money. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. Do you see that phrase that's underlined there, free from the love of money? Free from the love of money. Six words, y'all see that? Here's the reason I underlined that. In English, it takes us six words to convey that idea. But when Paul wrote this, the Greek culture had a single word, a single word to describe someone. You meet someone, they, they are not consumed by materialism. Their life is not characterized by loving money. There's actually an adjective for them. We don't have that. Let, let me give you an analogy. What if I came to you and said, listen, I wanna encourage you to keep your life free from sickness, free from pain, and free from ending early. You'd look at me and say, Jimmy, why don't you just say keep your life healthy? One word instead of a lot of words. I'll tell you why. Because you understand the word healthy as a concept. We're a culture that pursues healthy. We've got doctors. We've got gyms. We've got all kinds of diets. We pursue healthy. Here's what's scary about our culture. We are so materialistic. We don't have a word to describe someone whose life is free from the love of money. The Greeks did. When I was preaching overseas, this has happened more than one time, I will say a very short little phrase waiting on someone to translate for me. I'll say something like five or six words, and they will go on for like five or six minutes. I'm like, you're making up a sermon. You're the translator. Stop that. He says, no, I wasn't making it up. We don't have that word. We don't have that word. I have to explain the concept. And I thought to myself, how do you not have that word? 
And I can imagine Paul right now, I mean, Paul is preaching to people who at least have that word. Paul, pre can you imagine him right now going, what, y'all don't have that word? There's not even a one, like, like, out of all of you? Like, they haven't even figured out there should be a word for somebody who is not materialistic and chasing after money and loving riches? Think about it. Our culture doesn't even have the word. It's been lost 2,000 years. But let's not miss the end of the, the verse. It says, because God has never said, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. See, here's what will really help develop some contentment is when we understand our relationship with money and material things, it determines how we see God. And our relationship with God determines how we see money and material things. And the point is, you can be content when you know who your God is. When you know that he will be there to take care of you for tomorrow because he sees you, because he cares for you, because he provides for you, and because he always has. The question is, do you see your life that way? When you think about your life, do you see how God has always seen you, always cared for you, always provided for you, always been there for you? Or do you start thinking of all the times you feel those weren't true? But God, there was that time you didn't. There were God, there was that time. God, there was. You see, many of us in our, our response would probably say, well, I know God will take care of me, but I really want more, Jimmy. I really want more. And isn't that the very problem that we face today? We all do want a little more. I'll admit I want more. I told you earlier, I, I really don't want a staycation for the rest of my life. I want to go to Hawaii. I want to go to Spain. I, I want more. And the question is, if we can't admit it, then what are we going to do with what's going on in here? So I want to give you a very practical way to develop contentment. Very, very simply, look, how do we keep our life free from the love of money? The love of money is greed. The antidote to greed, did I say that right? The antidote to greed is contentment. The antidote to greed is contentment. So I'm going to give you three things that will develop contentment. Do you notice the word develop? Because we're going to have to develop contentment. First of all, number one, is you could lose it all. Can I get an amen on that one? No, that's not what you say amen to. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants to experience bankruptcy and have everything taken away by force and, and just to be going through a miserable experience. Again, it is not God's intent that his people be among the poor. But losing it all is one way to finally see what you had. I'm just going to tell you, that way sucks and I don't recommend it. But if it's the only way God can get your attention, I have watched people go through this. I want to encourage you. I've got two more on the list because I've got two more that are much more fun and easier to do in order to develop contentment. But if you force God's hand, you could be one of those people that he loves so much. He doesn't want you to stay trapped in materialism. He doesn't want you in that snare that's breaking your leg. He wants to set you free and you may lose it all only to see how good life really is. Who wants two easier ways? Three of you, great. The second one, the first good way, is simply say no to yourself. Say no to yourself. Look, you've probably heard some of the stories of people who do this, and when you hear these stories, you think, I don't know if I could do that. 
Like Sam Walton, the founder of Walmart, driving around in a 30-year-old pickup truck around Arkansas. I mean, the dude had so much money, he could have bought Ford and Chevy put together and driven a new truck every day of his life. But he didn't. It wasn't because he couldn't afford it. It was to protect his heart. Maybe you know the story of Hobby Lobby and the Green family that founded it and the way that they've set up their business. I've met Mark Green, who is the son of the founder, and, and, and well, Mark drives like a 15-year-old Honda Accord, and I don't even think it was the top of the line like Honda Accord, you know? I mean, and if you want part of the money from Hobby Lobby, here's the truth. They've set their business up in such a way that just because your last name is Green, you don't get checks. You, you don't get investments. If you want money from Hobby Lobby, you have to get a job at Hobby Lobby, even as part of the family. And they're not giving it to the kids and the grandkids when people die. It's actually all being provided for establishing the kingdom of God and great gospel works upon the earth. They're only trying to protect their family from the stuff in their hearts. Look, the best way to keep your heart from becoming materialistic is to deny it material things on occasion. I'm not saying you can't have nice things. Please hear me when I tell you that. I'm not saying you can't have nice things. I'm saying if you have everything you want, your heart's in trouble. If you have everything you want, your heart will get in trouble. Sometimes you need to go to the store and look at that and go, I want that, and I can afford that, but I will not get that just so it doesn't grip me. Sometimes you need to go to the store with some money that you've saved up to get yourself something, and you need to give it to somebody else just for the fun of it because that's what keeps your heart from becoming materialistic. Even if you can afford it, you need to just say no to yourself. And the second thing that I recommend, the third one on the list, but the last two are the good ones, is say thank you to God. Say thank you to God. You've probably heard the phrase, count your blessings. Everybody heard that one? Maybe you've heard said like this, count your blessings and not your lackings. The truth is, it's very easy for us to look around and see what's wrong with our lives. I used to really struggle to count my blessings. I always felt that God had not quite blessed me, that he had blessed a whole lot of other people and he, he was good to others, you know, and well, I was breathing and that was okay. But in every aspect of life, I, I, I thought somehow I had not been as blessed as other people. And that's a long story for another day and probably another sermon. The bottom line though is I was always discontent. Some of it is because of comparison, just looking around. Other people got to be like 5'10". It's like, seriously, God, what's the deal? But if you want to be serious for a minute, when I grew up, we all have things that happen to us when you're young. In the neighborhood where I lived, I, I was not wealthy, not rich. I heard the phrase, we can't afford that in my house. But there was a very wealthy neighborhood and everyone there was, in my opinion, rich, at least as I saw it as a kid. And those were the cool kids. And we all wanna fit in, right, when we're young? We all wanna be with the cool kids, but to be with the cool kids where I grew up, you had to be one of the rich kids. You had to have multiple pairs of Jordans back when they weren't retro. You had to have multiple members-only jackets. Can I get an amen from somebody in here? But if you were like me, I just wanted one members only jacket at Christmas, just so I could look the part of a cool kid. But I think something happened 
in my heart at that point, hearing no, we can't afford that, and seeing the cool kids being the rich kids. And it actually followed me into my adult life. And somehow I look at my life and always think I needed something that I didn't have. And that's just the way that I saw. It was always, but God, I need that. But God, I want that. But God, but God, but God. And I was real quick to list something that was wrong in my life. But the good news is God began to show me how blessed I was. One way that he did that is he took away a few things to show me how much I actually had. And then God is gracious. Sometimes he'll let you learn the easy way if you'll just pay attention to other people who have to learn the hard way. So God allowed me to see some people losing it all and to realize, man, they didn't know what they had. Ouch, I don't wanna go there. And so God began to do a work in my heart, honestly, both mine and my wife's over many, many years. And we've developed a practice now that I don't share with you to try to be arrogant. I share it with you. I wanna inspire you and I hope you'll put it into practice. And that is the way that we pray. When my wife and I pray together in the mornings, the way that we start our prayers, and if a day we don't get to do that, then I know this is still what I do on my own. Jesus taught our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And so I believe in starting every prayer with just reminding ourselves God is great. He deserves more praise than we could ever give him. And so after a few minutes of just telling God how great he is, I also just love to do it out loud because I want the devil to hate me. I do. That may not always be fun, but I don't want the devil to hate me. And so I tell him how great God is. But then, before we ask for anything, we turn to telling God how grateful we are. We just start, God, I thank you for it. I thank you for it. And we start naming things. I want to encourage you, just saying, God, I'm thankful for my life. I want to encourage you to actually name as much as you can. Just take some time and sit around and go, for us, a typical morning, God, we just thank you. You're so good to us. God, we thank you for our family. God, we thank you for our kids. We thank you for our health. God, we thank you for our, our fun of going out and buying a Christmas tree. God, we thank you for our fun of getting to take a ski trip. God, we thank you for our home. God, we thank you for this thing we call a job. It's the best thing in the world. I can't believe we get to do this for a living. God, we thank you for our friends. God, we thank you. And we just keep naming things. I never thank God for the cats, I'll be honest. My daughter probably does, I don't. But you know, as you look around and you find everything you can to be grateful for and thankful for, you don't see as much that you're wanting and lacking. Because it's all about what's going on in the heart. See, it's perspective. What do you see when you look at your life? Do you see blessings or do you see lackings? Because the one you see is what you're going to count. And here's the truth you need to know. Contentment is never the result of what you have. Contentment is always the result of how you see what you have. You'll never be content with saying, well, you know, Jimmy, I appreciate that sermon, but you know, I'm just right here, and I tell you what, right there, just, just that promotion, or just, just our first house, or our, look, Stuff will never be enough. You're in an apartment and you're saying, I'll be content when we get our first house. No, you won't. Because you're going to outgrow it and it's going to be old or it's going to get old. If you just get that car, well, that car is going to get old. 
you take that trip, well, that trip will be a memory 10 years later. Stuff will never work here. Never gonna work here. So let me close by bringing the end and the beginning of this message together. I opened by telling you that contentment was the secret to putting these three principles in our lives into practice. Here's what I mean. When we're content, we can stay out of debt because we're satisfied with what we have and we don't have to try to buy things we can't afford yet. When we're content, we save because, well, we don't have to spend it all today. We've got plenty today. I can set aside some for tomorrow. When we're content, we can be generous because we know we have enough and plenty and God's gonna take care of us. We can give quite a bit of that away. When we're content, we honor God because we know he is the root source of every bit of it in our lives. Here's the truth I've been saying all along. God's intent for you is that you should not be among the poor. But to be or not to be poor, well, that choice is yours. Because someone who is not content will always spend their very last penny trying to get more. And they're only gonna end up poor. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your goodness. We come before you today and ask you, open our eyes, show us your goodness. We live in such a broken, messed up world. And, well, the spirit in this world just wants us to chase things. So God, we're gonna be honest with you. We confess, we always see what we wish we had instead of what we already do have. God, would you change our hearts? Would you change how we see you? Would you change how we see your blessings in our lives? God, would you bring contentment into our hearts that we'd wake up every day and say, thank you. Thank you, God, you have been so good to me. If you're just in a place of prayer, I wanna to speak to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. See, here's the truth. Out of the many blessings in your life, one of them, I believe the most important one, is the love of God. And he loved you so much that even when you and I had done something to separate ourselves from God, the Bible calls it sin. Might have been a thought, might have been an attitude, might have been an action, something somewhere that separated us. But because of the blessing of God's love, he sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life, to die in our place, your place and my place, so that we wouldn't have to pay for our sins with our death, but we could be forgiven. And then by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, we can be offered eternal life. We call it the free gift of salvation, but just like any gift, it has to be received. And if you have never done that, you've never exchanged the life you've been living for the one Jesus has for you, I wanna help you do that right now. Wherever you are, would you simply pray and say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now, I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. In my simple prayer here today, would you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom? Amen. Would you all help me celebrate with them, everybody?